Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. We will definitely catch you then. Hi, everybody. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the blood bottle shortages that are happening across basically the entire of the world and especially here in the UK and how this can affect your care in the coming weeks and months. Let's tech enhance your primary care and learning. So if you haven't heard, there is a national shortage of blood bottles across the entire of the UK. And actually, it's an international shortage as well. And there's been recent guidance that have been published by NHS England in terms of how this is going to affect both primary care, secondary care, basically every aspect of your contacts with the healthcare system. Why has this happened? Well, there's a company called Beckett Dickinson that basically provides most of the blood bottles that are used in the healthcare service. And that's both nationally and internationally as well. And unfortunately, there is a massive shortage. This has been bubbling for the past few months. Unfortunately, it's now become critical and to the point where NHS England have actually given formal advice in terms of what needs to happen. Part of the reasons for this, well, a lot of this is down to COVID because of the increased testing that's happened in terms of patients being tested with you know, blood samples and everything, as well as some of the backlog of stuff with more people coming forward now. So there's been an increase in demand. And then there have actually been international issues that have added to this. So, for example, the blockage of the Suez Canal is still having an ongoing impact. More locally for us here in the UK, unfortunately, yes, Brexit has had some impact in this in terms of the lorry driver issues, in terms of transports and logistics, and also delays at ports and things. So unfortunately, it's all contributing to the problem. What is the problem? Well, basically, there are less blood tubes to go around. And over the past few months, since uh, we, since this issue has been known about, there has been an element of people trying to reconcile the amounts that we've got. So there was that guidance given out on the 10th of August by NHS England in terms of taking stock takes, for example, looking at the way that blood tests are being used and potentially reducing the types of tests that were being done, as well as using, for example, add-ons a lot more, particularly in hospital bases and stuff. In addition, what we are now seeing is more formal guidance has come out from NHS England that specifically tells us what we should be doing. This came out yesterday. Let's have a little look at the document. So um, as you can see here, it is the B0933 update document from NHS England policy. 26th of August. Um, it talks about various different aspects in terms of what's been happening, gives you information about the more critical issues. It talks about the key issues here that you can see is the five mil and the uh, five mil yellow top and purple top bottles, which are the two most common ones used when taking blood samples. So these look at, for example, your use knees and kidney function, liver functions, um, sugar levels, and various other tests like CRPs, which are used for checking for infections, for example. Uh, versus the purple top, which is used for blood counts, HbA1cs, so um, white cell markers, various other parts. Basically, these are the two most common blood test types bottles used in the NHS. They are trying to look for alternatives, um, but unfortunately, because of supply issues that still happen and because everybody's now looking for alternative types as well, this is clearly still a challenge to source. 
although they are looking at us, which is really important. Um, there are obviously ongoing issues, and they do reference their previous guidance on the 10th of August, which if you want links to both this and the other guidance, have a look in the description of the video down below, and you'll be able to access that. But the key thing that it talks about are the changes that are going to happen. So particularly for primary care, this is key information to be aware of. They have now met recommended that until the 17th of September, because that's when the immediate issues are likely to continue till, they've said that all um, primary care and community testing for blood tests should stop. And the exceptions for this is for clinically urgent testing. And there has been some description of what clinically urgent testing means. For example, bloods that require facilitate two-week wait, cancer referrals, bloods that are extremely overdue or essential for safe prescribing of medications or monitoring a condition. So this can be patients um, requiring, for example, DMARD medications, anti-rheumatic drugs, for example, um, patients where they need blood test monitoring essential conditions. And then they talk about bloods taking in terms of a hospital admission to try and prevent one in particular or um, as part prevent an onward referral. Emphasis on prevent an onward referral. The earlier guidance does actually state that general practice should stop doing bloods in terms of preparation for a referral in the sense of if they're planning to be referred to the hospitals and stuff for um, routine care. And then those with suspected sepsis or conditions with the risk of disability or death. Clearly obvious that we should be doing blood tests in those situations. Um, it does mention about the quaff, which is a key concern for many practices in terms of how they are having some of their resources funded and, and things. And because of stopping doing all this monitoring, that may have an impact on that. Um, and they have mentioned that that's clearly a point. They do accept this is a temporary issue and that it's going to be a frustrating one. And they even admit that there's going to be some potential harm that may happen because of this. However, this is down, as I said, to national and international issues. There is then guidance in terms of what happens for the acute trusts in particular. So it does say that they're, they're aiming for a 25% reduction in blood tests happening in the acute hospital situation. That is a significant number, but that's the target they've been given to reduce their number of the tests that they're requesting by. That is a lot. They are going to ask the local laboratories to come up with their own policies in terms of what that looks like because each lab will have different rules and stuff. Um, and it does mention that they are going to be monitoring this as well. So in particular, in, uh, using other devices for hemoglobin testing, but also monitoring the number of HB um, uh, full blood counts being done, as well as using ease and kidney functions being checked as well. So there is, you know, some monitoring that's going to continue to happen with this. The next step, so it then talks about what's going to happen afterwards. Well, if you have a severe shortage, it does give guidance of the contact if this was to be the case, if you've only got 48 supply, hours supply of blood test forms happening. And it does also mention that they have informed um, CQC, Care Quality Commission, as well as NHS resolutions, so the people that deal with complaints, that this issue is happening and that everyone uh, should be covered in the CNSGP, so the Clinical Negligence Scheme for GPAN General Practice, and the CNST, the Clinical Negligence Scheme for Trusts, in terms of complaints for this um, element of work that unfortunately is likely to generate a lot of complaints when patients are being told that they may not be able to have blood tests done for whatever reason might be happening. It does um, mention that these um, measures are proportionate to the issues that are happening and also that this may continue for a little bit longer than the 17th of September, which is likely to be the case. That is clearly frustrating. So what does this actually mean? Well, the implications for all of this is absolutely significant. Um, what you know, The key one is the risk of harm to patients, that this is absolutely a possibility, unfortunately. And it will be interesting to see how much of an impact this has, both immediately 
and in the longer term. Um, there is absolutely the increased risk of practices, uh, patients uh, to practices and stuff because they're not able to have their blood tests in the, the timely fashion that they would have wanted or um, ne potentially needed as well. And this, unfortunately, is going to create more problems, particularly in practices where this will be, I unfortunately feel, acutely felt. There is also going to be um, potential delays in referrals. So a lot of places have mandatory tests that are required to be done before referral happens. And actually, the guidance now says this shouldn't be happening. So if you're following one piece of guidance, are you then at odds with another piece of guidance in terms of either local and national guidance and things? So it's going to be really confusing, I think, for many patients and clinicians in terms of how to navigate that particular part and the impact of what that's going to have in terms of onward care, really important to recognise. Um, I think there, unfortunately, may be an element as well of hospitals transferring this work to primary care. And there's a risk of that happening because obviously the hospitals will have less blood tests available. Um, and they may say, we'll go get this done in general practice. Well, actually, unfortunately, general practice will have even possibly less of a capacity because we tend to get our blood bottles after the hospitals. And therefore, that's going to create more confusion and delay for the patients and possibly harm. Important to remember, we are all in this together. This is not a general practice versus secondary care issue. This is a NHS healthcare population issue. Um, and yeah, there is the issue of a reduction of in income from COF that many practices will have to deal with, which hasn't been paused by NHS England, despite many concerns the impact that this is going to have, particularly when we're in a state of restoration uh, following uh, COVID and obviously the impact that's going to have. That's for people much bigger than me to decide if you in debate and stuff. But clearly that's something that's being felt by many people. But what actions can practices take in terms of what they need to do? Well, the guidance has been given by NHS England, and we are now recommended to follow this guidance. In terms of what that means from clinical liability, obviously there is some element of notification given to the organisations involved in this. But I suspect, as I mentioned earlier, there's going to be an increase in number of complaints coming towards GPs, both as practices and potentially individually because of this. And absolutely, there needs to be some mitigation put into this. First thing I'd recommend all practices, if you haven't already done so, do a stock check of the amount of supplies of blood tubes and stuff that you've got and link up with your local areas to understand how that amount of stock check is happening. The document does also mention that you should be sharing resources with other areas if need be. I would highly recommend all practices inform their patients of this problem. To do so, simply put it on your practice website, put it on your practice social media channels, Maybe even use your SMS channels to inform patients as well and bulk messaging and stuff to let them know is this key issue and signpost them to the NHS England document. I would even consider potentially putting a note in patient records about this because actually the subsequent issues in terms of impact for patients is going to be felt not only just now, but potentially in a year's time, in a couple of years time. And it's important that this is recognized and captured. So potentially putting that information in their records or at the very least, creating shortcuts within your clinical system so that you can document that when you're requesting the blood test for patients, saying that actually this has been mitigated by um, the NHS England guidance in terms of what we need to do. So at least there is that record for the longer term so you can make sure you've given the best possible care to our patients. Absolutely, I would recommend also having a discussion with your local areas, your ICPs, your ICSs, your PCNs in terms of plans of how to mitigate this as much as possible, make sure there's less patient harm as possible as well as best functioning for practices, as well as secondary care. Because as I said, we are all in this together. And it's really important that this is done as a system approach, not just one arm of the NHS doing something and the other arm being left to pick up the slack, because we would absolutely not want that to add to the current problems we are all facing in terms of patient care, healthcare, and everything else.
I hope you found this a really quick and hopeful, useful review of the current issues with the blood bottles shortages that are happening in the NHS right now. Hopefully we will see better resolutions soon. But let's be honest, this is likely to continue for the immediate future. And I hope there's been a useful guide for you. And as always, we're here to help tech enhance your primary care and learning. We will catch you in the next episode. Oh, hello there, EGP Learner. I'm Dr. Gandalf and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right, if you use EMIS, but you wanna use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, to tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpp s1 course.